here. We are going to be in Ephesians in chapter 6 uh, this morning. Last week, if you were here, we heard some, some words that may be difficult sometimes for us to hear, some words that sometimes might make us uncomfortable as we talked about the relationship of husband to wife last week, as we talk about the submission that exists in marriage. And um, while it may have made you uncomfortable last week, this week we're going to talk about children obeying your parents, and I'm sure there will be much rejoicing And I think our hearts are already showing, aren't they? Um, Do you notice a pattern? The kids aren't very excited about hearing that. Um, Parents are very excited. We're we're always very excited when we get the share of our power and authority and those who submit to us. But when we submit to others, we don't like it very much, do we? We need to acknowledge that at the outset this morning as we approach our text. And be reminded of, in a way, what what Paul has framed much of this in as he's talked about submission. Back in in verse 21, he said, submit to one another, how? Out of reverence for Christ. Ultimately, the submission. And the submission we're going to talk about with, with, with children, it ultimately comes out of our pursuit of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That he is the ultimate foundation. So, like I said, last week we looked at this relationship of Husband to wife, this week we're going to look at the relationship of parent to child. So let's look there now. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we need you present today as we speak, as we um, deal with difficult issues, as we um, struggle at times to apply these very words into our lives. Um, We ask, oh, would you be present with us, applying your word to our hearts and helping us in the midst of it all to see our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There's a story told of two teenagers, and they're walking along the road. As they're walking, they're talking. And one of the teenagers says this, as unbelievable as it may be for some of you to hear, um, I'm really worried. Dad slaves away at his job, so I'll never want for anything so I can go to college. Mom spends every day washing and ironing clothes and picking up after me. She takes care of me when I'm sick. The other kid says, what are you worried about? You know, you you hear all that. We shouldn't have anything to worry about, right? You think of the way our parents care for us. And the first teenager said, I'm afraid that they may try to escape. Now, this teenager is, of course, looking at his relationship with his parents through very selfish lenses, right? He likes the good things they, they, they do for him, but whenever they command things of him or want things of him, likely he doesn't have the same opinion, does he? We, we all struggle with this. And Ephesians 6.1, as we read a minute ago, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, Do you notice the very first word? Now, this may seem very obvious, but the very first word here is children. That may not seem that important, except that, hey, this is who's supposed to obey. But the fact that this is even here is important. The book of Ephesians is written to the churches in in the Ephesus region, right? And it would be read during worship. So what's the expectation? That there's going to be children there who are going to hear this word. And so we have children here this morning who are hearing this word, that are hearing children obey your parents. But there's another layer to it too. We've been talking about how as we've moved through the book of Ephesians, those first couple of chapters were setting the ground 
the groundwork, the, the indicative as we've called it. They've been telling us the incredible truths that are true in the gospel. And now in these latter chapters, Paul has moved on to tell us now how we are going living. Okay, and, and that's the fruit from which all the things that we've talked about, all the obedience that we've talked about, all the imperatives, all the commands are to come with, come from, is from those first three chapters. And as we talk about children and children's obedience, it's still to come from that same place. So as we talk about this, children, remember, this is to come from that same place, from knowing and understanding those first couple of chapters of Ephesians, uh, being reminded of what Christ, our Savior, has done for us, how he has brought us from death and into life, and it's out of that that we are called to go on living. It's, it's out of the truth of the gospel, in fact, that Paul tells children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That word obey, it means, children, it means to like, to hear under, literally, hear under. So you're hearing, you're listening, and one who is seated under the authority of another, listening to the words of the parents. Now, children, let's be honest this morning, you're, 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 you probably bristle a little bit when you hear the words obey your parents. We don't like that language, right? We don't like to obey. And, and then let's also, I'm going to be honest, and parents, you may not like this this morning, that's okay. Your parents will, and they do make mistakes, don't they? And all the children immediately nod their head, yes, of course. Children, you have imperfect parents, just as you are an imperfect child, right? We have imperfect parents. But here's the deal, and here's what, what, what Paul is calling. Paul knows that. Paul knows that you have imperfect parents, but what does he say you're to do? He's calling you this morning to obey even those imperfect parents, even when you don't understand them, you're still called to follow them. And as you follow them, who are you actually really following? You're really following Christ. You're really following Savior, the one who has purchased life itself for you as you obey and submit yourself to your imperfect parents. You're really submitting yourself to your perfect God, ultimately. Now, to help put this into appropriate perspective, let's think of Jesus, okay? Jesus, second person of the Trinity, came down from heaven incarnate. And, and you may remember that story from Luke 2. Remember that Joseph and Mary, they're on their way back from Jerusalem from the Passover feast, and they look around, they suddenly realize that, where did Jesus go? Did anybody see Jesus? So they go back, and they find Jesus there in the temple. Where, where are you, Jesus? And what does he say? Verse 49, chapter 2 of Luke. He said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying when he spoke to him. Now, to some of you, you may hear those words, and they may sound a little bit like a little bit of rebellion almost in there in Jesus' words, right? A little bit of disrespect, but that's not at all what's going on here. Just let's go to the next verse, and this may be a verse that, that sometimes we, we, we miss. And what does Jesus do? He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was what? submissive to them. What must it have been like to be Jesus? Perfect. Growing in wisdom even beyond the years of your parents. And submitting yourself willingly to their imperfect imperfections. What must it have been like to, to be Jesus and, and maybe grown in wisdom beyond your parents? And they tell you to do something that you know it's not sinful, okay, they're not asking him to do something sinful, but you know it's not the wisest choice in the, the moment because you've grown beyond them at some point. 
And yet, what do we read here? Jesus was submissive to them. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. Now, did he maybe try to, at times, gracefully uh, point out the truth to them? Yes, I think so. In fact, that's, I think, the words that we hear from him whenever they come and they find him in the temple. In a sense, understand what he's saying to them whenever they find him. They're saying, you brought me up in the word. You trained me in the scriptures. You, you, you taught me about my heavenly father. Maybe they, they taught, shared some of the story of his miraculous birth. I think in a sense what Jesus is saying, he's not being disrespectful to them. What he's saying, mom, dad, I'm right where you trained me to be. I'm actually being submissive to you by where, by where I am. I'm following you. You told me to, to, to listen to the word, to follow my great God, and that's what I'm doing. He was perfectly submissive even to imperfect parents. Do you see the beauty? Those words from Philippians 2 come to mind that he, Jesus, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness. Now, children, the calling for you this morning is in some ways simple. It's to obey your parents. And it's not to obey just when you agree with them. Okay, that's easy. It's to obey even when you think they're making a bad decision. Now, it doesn't mean, especially as you grow up in age, that you might have more opportunities to actually like have a conversation with them about the decisions. But you must approach those conversations correctly, right? With a submissive spirit, one that's willing to do ultimately what your parents call you to do. Interacting with them with grace, but ultimately coming to them, willing to obey. And you see, this comes out of us understanding that God has, has created this order for a reason. Okay? He, he's, he's, he's created this as a good means for children to grow and to mature, even when it's painful. And, and children, understand this. Sometimes, sometimes maybe your parents have a bigger picture in mind than you can envision at the moment. Maybe there are methods to what you see as just madness, right? Um, and God, even as you don't understand it, God is teaching you to trust him, teaching you to have faith in him. You see, God is trying to teach you not only that your parents know better, but ultimately that your great God knows better. He knows precisely what you need. That's why he gave you the parents that he did. In this context, let's also understand, too, that disobeying parents is a pretty big thing. Now, sometimes I think we totally miss this. Uh, Paul often, he gives like these lists of like notorious sins. He does so, for instance, in Romans 1 where he's talking about the unbeliever. Many of you are familiar with the passage. But do you remember what all is listed there? This is the unbeliever. Slanderous, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Right there, lumped right in the middle. And what do we see here? There's, there's a natural connection, I think, between our willingness, our, our willingness to submit ourselves to our parents and our willingness to submit ourselves to God. They come together. They're a package deal, if you will. Now, of course, as we saw in the passage, the, the, the call here is not just to obey. Uh, Paul actually quotes in verse 2, he, he, he quotes the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment actually says, honor your father and your mother, okay? Honor is like a bigger word under which obey lies, 
Okay, uh, Obeying is one of the ways that we are able to honor our parents, but within honor, there's many other things are included, right? Respect, being grateful for all that they do. In fact, even as, as he talks about elsewhere, caring for our parents as, as they age. You, you see, we kind of go through different stages with our parents. You see, everybody in here, we're, we're, we're all children, right? You, you can't get here if, you, if you're not. Um, we're, we're all called, regardless of our age, to do what? To honor our parents. That honoring may look different, okay? When you're still children of age, now, you know, everybody probably wants like an exact line, okay, when can I stop obeying my parents or something like that? I think certainly when you, you get married and, and you form your own family, that, that's a good opportunity for that. But there's kind of the, these early years are years where, where we're called to obey our parents, right? And we're called to give them honor and respect and all those things. As you move on into those middle years of your life, we're, we're, we're still called to honor our parents. It just looks a little different. It might be like actually giving weight to the words that they have to share with you and, and, and honoring and giving respect to their thoughts. And then, of course, as years wane on, sometimes in those later years, it means um, caring for parents. Um, it, it can t- take on the form of almost being the parents to your parents because that's part of how you can honor them because of what all they have done for you. Kids, do you understand how much your parents do for you? How much they love you? How much they care for you? And God calls us to, to follow him. Now, I also want to say this. I think this is important. Some, some of you, particularly the older folks in the room, some, some of you have, diff- have had difficult relationship with your parents, Right? And we need to acknowledge that. And so this idea of what it looks like to honor our parents can, can, can get kind of muddy and kind of difficult, but we have to wade through those waters, even with difficult parents. How do we honor them well? And you notice Paul gives us language that we need to attach to this obeying and honoring in verse 1, didn't he? It's to be, what does he say? Obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. And that's that beautiful connection. That when we obey our parents, what are we doing? Ultimately, we're obeying Christ. Kids, like especially the real young kids in here, you might wonder, what can I do for Jesus, right? Like, how can I serve him? One of the ways is right before you now. Is as you obey Christ, you, you are, that, that is one means by which he has for you to serve him. And it's through that earthly action, through that action that we're able to take now that, that, that God teaches us, that, that we're taught how to obey our heavenly father. As we obey our earthly fathers, we learn obedience to our heavenly fathers. Now, you may have noticed in verses 2 and 3, this obedience, it comes with a promise, right? This is the first commandment with a promise that all may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. You may wonder, what's up with this promise? Does this mean that if we obey our parents, then everything is going to go great for us? Is this like Spock saying live long and prosper? Is that what's going on here? Not exactly, but I think we need to acknowledge some important things here of of what is going on. I think there's a a temporal side to this, a side of here and now, and then, of course, the eternal. Now, here and now, and that's what the language kind of sounds like. Doesn't it kind of sound like a proverb, like the kind of things that we read in the book of Proverbs or other wisdom literature? And the interesting thing about Proverbs is that, that they're usually not normative in the sense that if you do X, then Y always happens, okay? Proverbs usually go like this. If you do X, then this is typically the way things work out. 
Now, children, kids, teenagers, isn't that typically how things work in the context of the family? Don't things tend to go better for you when you obey than when you disobey? There's a natural outworking there, isn't there? But I think sometimes just, if we just camped out there, I think we might be selling things a little bit short. I think we might be selling things really short because there's a deeper layer going on here. It's not just so that, oh, everything's going to go okay with me and I get to enjoy myself in the home. There's a greater thing that comes in the joy of following God's law. Psalm 119 starts off like this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. You see, ultimately, one of the blessings that comes here now is the great joy that we should have because we get to do what we're doing, that we get to follow in pursuit of our great and holy God, that we get to follow in the steps of our Savior, that, that he came and he rescued us from sin and death. And we now get to, to follow him. It should bring our hearts, and, I, and I'm afraid it, it doesn't often. I confess, even uh, before the service, I, I just mentioned to one of our elders, I'm tired of the law. I'm tired, and part of it is I'm not tired, well, maybe I am too, but, but I'm tired of preaching. Like, this is hard. Like, this isn't, like, this is tough stuff that we've been going through, right? But I, I feel that maybe I've been missing this, that we're missing this, that we're missing the great blessing that comes from the great joy that we should have as we pursue our Savior. You find that great joy right now, as he brings you life, even now, real, true life, true life that doesn't come from the things of this world, but, but that only comes from him. And of course, this promise points to that eternity that we get, that eternity that we get to have with our heavenly Father and with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and with, with the Holy Spirit in that new heaven and that new earth. That is the ultimate promise that comes from all of this, of all of those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. Children, obey your parents. Now, if we could end there, we would all rejoice. At least the parents would, children wouldn't. Paul saw fit not to stop there. He continues, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke your children. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of the Simpsons. Um, many of you know them. They've been on over 30 years now and um, kind of started when I was in middle school, high school years and er, late 80s and then early 90s. And I remember one of the rages was about Bart Simpson about just how incredibly disrespectful Bart Simpson is, how he's this incredibly bad role model for our kids. It was about 10 years later that Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, was being interviewed by the New York Times. Remember, about 10 years after the, the first episodes with Bart Simpson and all this hubbub began, and he was asked this question, how do you respond to critics who consider Bart Simpson a dreadful role model for children? Listen to what he said. Now remember, this is like 10 years later. I now have a seven-year-old boy. 
and a nine-year-old boy. So all I can say is I apologize. (laughs) Now I know what you guys were talking about. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. That would have just been the first part of our passage. He goes on to say this. He says, my standard comment is, if you don't want your kids to be like Bart Simpson, don't act like Homer Simpson. <laughs> sounds all, <laughs> not a believer, but he sounds almost like Paul here, doesn't he? In Paul's words to us now, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we, we hear these words, and we see it started off with fathers. We saw children earlier. Now it's fathers, and, and we kind of wonder, well, why, why fathers here? I mean, earlier we were talking about with parents, and what's the deal here? And this is where we're reminded of the father's role in leading his family. And, and in that sense, the father is given power to wield in his family, right? And he needs to be careful how he wields that power. So there was a survey done uh, quite a few years ago where a bunch of kids were asked, what are the most common things you hear from your father? What's the most common thing you hear from him? Number one, I'm too tired. Number two, we don't have enough money. Number three, keep quiet. How many, uh, is there any truth of that for you and your family? I fear too often if I were to ask my kids that, it would probably be something like, can we talk about that later? Can we, can we talk about that later? Can, can, can we talk about that later? And I see my boys kind of grinning and nodding. Um, and we find ourselves provoking our children needlessly. And sometimes, also understand this as we, we, we dive into this, sometimes I think we have this idea that the mom is supposed to be the gracious, merciful, and loving one, the one who, like, who sets this table full of grace and mercy and love, right? And then the father is supposed to come in as the, as the one with the hammer, the one who's supposed to exert the law and discipline the kids, right? We, we kind of have that, I think, mentality at least a little bit sometimes. But understand what Paul is saying by the way he's phrasing this here. Paul is, in a sense, saying, fathers, You should be the one setting the table of grace. You should be the one setting the table with the gospel. That's your responsibility. You shouldn't be provoking your children. I mean, just think about it. What are we doing when we provoke our children? We're really manipulating them to get what we want in some way or another, right? Provoking is, is naturally a selfish pursuit, We provoke because there's something that we want. And fathers, Paul is telling us that that we are not called to a selfish love, but to a selfless love, a sacrificial love, uh, the the kind of love that we saw last week in, in that relationship of husband to wife, right? Fathers are to take on that role as well, that sacrificial law, that sacrificial way. And and why are we to do that? Because fathers. We've been shown such incredible, sacrificial love through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has loved us even when we have been so disobedient, running after our own ways, and yet he has been so merciful to us. He has pursued us with his selfless love. We're called to pursue our children 
with that same selfless love. Now, mothers, you may be thinking, well, does this get me off this morning? Does this mean I don't have to worry about these things? Of course not. Um, you, you are called in these things and in these very words to be by your husband's side, helping to lay out that table of grace, being his partner, being there with him every step of the way. Now, even as I say that, I know that there's some in this room who don't have the blessing of a husband by your side right now, or, or maybe a, a wife by your side right now, and that makes this so difficult. And I'm not saying it's easy to hash out, but, but you're called, all of us in this room, ultimately, all parents are called to what we see here before us. Yes, the fathers to take a leading role, but this is the calling of all of us. But as I said, Paul does want to make sure that we fathers, we, we, we understand our role and, and don't in some way abdicate it to the mother. That setting the table with grace is our role. And we do this because, like with the children, because all of what Paul told us in chapters 1 through 3 are true. Because he has brought us back to life from the dead. He's given us new life. He's sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And, and now we can move forward with selfless love, a selfless love that doesn't go after provoking our children. Right? Now, let me say something about provoking children because I think sometimes our natural response is we just think of like when we respond with anger to our children or maybe with another negative emotion. That is provoking our children. I think that's the most visible one. That's the easiest one to see. That, that's the one that, that, that Adrian's able to quickly address with me whenever that, that begins to, to emerge, right? But there's many other ways that we can provoke our children. We can provoke our children just by having dreams for them that are in some ways unattainable. You know what I mean? When, when basically we begin to vicariously live through them. You're putting them up on a stage. In fact, what are you doing? You're, you're actually making them an idol, an idol of your heart. When you do that to your kids, understand that it does provoke them. It's going to rise up anger in them. It's going to rise up resentment at some point or another because you're putting pressure on them that they should never have. We provoke our children when we, <laughs> with double standards, Right? Not as I say, do as I say, but not as I do, right? That can be very problematic. Now, there's appropriate moments for that. If you're like sitting there drinking a glass of wine, it's okay to say that, right? You can say, uh, do what I say, not what I do. There's appropriate context for that, but not in the context of the way that we relate to one another in the family, the, the way that we show our emotions, that, that, that somehow we're allowed to do things and, and act in sinful ways and tell the kids, no, you're not allowed to do that. You can't go there. We can provoke our kids when we don't allow them to grow up, when we don't give them freedoms increasingly as, as they grow and mature, when we don't allow them to earn the trusts that they have worked hard to earn. We can also, and this naturally flows into the rest of, uh, of this verse, we can provoke our children with poor discipline, okay? Um, we can provoke them with poor discipline. We can do things like say, don't you think you should go clean up your room? Now, that might not sound that bad. In some ways, we, we want to approach our kids. We want to find gracious ways to approach our kids and not, not, not sound like we're just 
demanding the law all the time and in harsh ways. Yes, we need to approach with a heart of grace, but you say, don't you think you should go clean up your room? What is the response? No, I think it's fine. Now, unless you're ready to walk away from that with an unclean room, if you're willing to do that, that's fine. But if the intention is, no, the room must be clean, you, you gotta, you, you've just provoked your children. Because what are they going to do? They're going to want to say, well, well but I, you asked me. And I don't think so. Why did you ask me? if?" I... And we see where it so quickly goes. So Paul calls us to not only, don't, don't provoke your children, but what? Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We don't like this word discipline, do we? And children, I, I, I know, kids, teenagers, whatever, as you hear discipline, none of us like discipline. You, you don't like discipline. We don't like being disciplined. And let me let you in on a secret if you don't already know. Your parents don't like to institute discipline on you. It's not a fun thing for either the parent or for the child. But yet, it's something that we're called to. And it's not, we're, we're not called to discipline for no reason, we're called to discipline for very good reasons. Let's, let's look to Hebrews 12, where the author of Hebrews talks about discipline. Listen to how he talks about it. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Besides this, We've had earthly fathers who've disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us, what? For our good, that we may share in his holiness. For a moment, listen to this, for a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Nobody wants to be disciplined, right? But later, what happens? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look, discipline isn't fun. It's not something that we run to. But do we believe God's word or not? Do we believe God when he tells us that discipline is actually for our good? That it is good for us, and it's good for us regardless of your age, right? The Lord still disciplines all those that he loves. Discipline, my friends, is it's good for us. Now, we need to be careful because as we institute discipline, we can do it in all sorts of bad ways, can't we? And I think we're probably experts at it. We can be tempted to discipline out of emotion. So it comes across as anger or whatever emotion you may be going through. And we end up disciplining out of that. That's not appropriate discipline. We can over-discipline our child, children. We can, we can under-discipline them. Not enough. We, we need to find that, that right rhythm. That right rhythm of discipline. We, we can even misapply grace into discipline, right? Well, God has been so gracious to us, and, and he's been so merciful to us, so we kind of avoid discipline at all. But no. What are we told? Discipline is good for us. We're called by Paul, the one who 
If anybody ever embraces the truth that we are saved by grace alone, it's the Apostle Paul, right? He understands, the, he understands grace. Yet what does he say? Children, obey your parents. What does he tell parents to do? Discipline your, your children. This is on the other side. This is in the shadow of grace. It's in the shadow of the cross. Now, I can't say everything that needs to be said about discipline. I won't even try. I'll just invite you parents to come back next Sunday night where, where all, all truth will be unveiled. <laughs> no. Um, not quite like that, but where hopefully, I encourage you to come next week. We're going to have family night next Sunday night, 5.30 to 7. There'll be youth group at the same time, kids, stuff for the kids, so that the parents can come and kind of wrestle through what discipline looks like. It doesn't mean that we'll figure out how to do it with perfection. Because you're always going to be an imperfect parent. You're always going to struggle. But we need to struggle in the path of righteousness. Now, Paul says one other thing, doesn't he? He doesn't just tell us to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, right? He says to bring them up in what? The instruction of the Lord. And we can't miss this. Because this is ultimately the heart of it. Maybe it takes preeminence over it all in some ways. As I was thinking through this, I thought of 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is like Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. Okay? It's one of the last things that, that Paul ever wrote. Maybe even the last thing that he writes. And listen to the words that, that he shares with, with Timothy in chapter 3. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, Timothy, my son in the faith, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Paul points Timothy to? He says, remember how you were trained up. From an early age, remember how, 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 you, how, how you were taught the good news of the gospel from an early age. Parents, this is our calling. For our children to be able to say that. We can't transform hearts. And parents, I know we, we, we get very frustrated because we can't. We, we would like to form them and mold them and make them into what we would want them to be. We have no control over that. We have to trust our great God and the work of Holy Spirit in our children's lives. What we can do is set that table of grace for our families, for our kids. We can raise them up in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is our calling. And, and to see that as the ultimate thing to which we are called as parents. Okay, so sometimes I, I fear, you know, all of us, if you're a believer in here, you're, you're saying, yeah, I want, of course I want my kids to be believers, right? Of course we do. But I fear also for some of us at times other things take preeminence over that. Like I'd just be happy if they were healthy, they were happy. Or I want these things for them and, and these other things for our kids begin to take over and even take preeminence over our desire for them to know Jesus. Is that the case? Now, this is really hard stuff. This is really difficult. 
If you're a child in here this morning, if you're a kid, if you're still of that age living in the house, this is tough stuff. Parents, this is tough stuff. And many of us this morning may feel like failures. Thinking, I haven't done enough, I'm not doing enough. I, I, we, we see ourselves and we, we see our inabilities as children to, to, to really follow our parents as we're called to and to love them well as we are called to as their children. We as parents see how we, we, we failed to, to, to love our children with the selfless love with which Christ has loved us. If you're a parent, you may think, well, I've screwed up or I'm in the process of, of screwing up our, my children. What do we do with that? The beauty and what I want to call us, in a sense, all to, regardless of your stage, and I know everyone's at a different stage of life when it comes to to parenting and children, but I want to call us all to repentance. That's where it needs to start. You and I, we we need to repent and acknowledge our our failure to to, to keep these four verses (laughs) As children, to to confess the ways to your great God, confessing to him the ways in which you failed to obey your parents. Parents, to to confess the ways that you've you've failed by provoking your children or, or by failing to appropriately discipline them or to instruct them in the Lord and we go and, and, and we repent to our great God. But it doesn't stop there. I want to encourage you. Parents, children, you need to learn to repent to one another. Children, you need to learn to come to your parents confessing and and apologizing and asking for forgiveness for your behavior. Parents, I'm convinced one of the most beautiful ways that we can set that table of grace, set that table of the gospel, is to go to our kids acknowledging when we've wronged them, acknowledging when we provoke them or whatever it is, to, to acknowledge it to them and to ask for their forgiveness. Maybe even if it's been many, many years ago, that's still the business that we're called to do. And I know of nothing, I'm sure there are other things, how beautiful it is to have a family that willingly acknowledges their sin to one another and repents of it, how much our children need to see us as parents doing that very thing. Now, as I said, this is difficult stuff for us. But let's not, as we can be tempted to do, to just beat ourselves up, which maybe there's appropriate amount of that that is needed, right? Um, we, We do need to repent. But let's also be reminded of the good news of the gospel for us this morning. That children, parents, even amidst your failures to do what you've called to do, the Father sent his Son graciously. He sent his only Son to die. Children, 
The Father sent his son to die for your disobedience to your parents. Parents, the Father sent his one and only son to die for you. And to die for what? For the way in which you provoke your children. The way in which you failed to discipline and instruct them. It's amazingly good news. How thankful we are this day that our being a super good child, being a super good parent, is not what saves us. But ultimately it is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who saves, who has already rescued us, who has already brought us out of death and into newness of life, and he calls us this morning to come. The one who has already saved us bids us to come and follow him. Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. Um, I confess, I know for myself, it, it, it cuts deeply. And it's painful at times as we're reminded of our failures. But we thank you that we have such a great Savior who has died for those failures, who paid the penalty for them. Oh, Father, today, would you be reminding us of the incredible love, the saving work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, reminding us of the love of our Father who rejoices over us with singing. would we hear the call of our Savior to come follow him. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Continue your work on us. We pray. We pray this all in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.